This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. And I'm actually very excited. We've probably got the hardest working man we've ever had in the show, on the show today. Yes, and people have been waiting for him. Yeah, it's been weeks in the making. And, and uh, But it's, it's, it's good timing because, as he points out, we've got the elective conference coming up. In a few weeks by now. Yeah, and uh, big issues uh, at that conference, uh, things around land, yep. uh, things around farming, agriculture, um, how are we going to keep the country afloat? And that includes feeding people. Right. And it also includes uh, land reform as well. Because many Zoomers focused on radical economic transformation, which is all about land, it appears. Mm. Yes. And taking it from some and giving it to others. <laughs> are you dying? Not yet. Okay. I just, as soon as I hear radical economic transformation, yeah, I it, get, make, it I, does I'm make allergic. you ill. Yeah. No, I, I vomit a little bit as well. Um, but you bulimic, I'm allergic. <laughs> <laughs> it's it just it just complete it just all comes up it all comes up so yeah we are pre-recording this a little bit so you'll forgive us if we're not completely current when you're hearing us but um, we've managed to get Wandile Siklobo into the studio Wandile who I hope you're following on Twitter some always very interesting insights from everything from land as we were talking about to blueberries um, to donkey skins yeah. He is an agricultural economist. He writes for the Business Day and for Farmers Weekly. Wandile, welcome to the studio. We've managed to align all the schedules, the suns and the moons. And here you are. Finally, finally. Yes. Good to be here. Absolutely. It's lovely to have you. Well, the pleasure is all ours. Um, as I said before, we started recording. I am more interested in blueberries, soybeans and donkey skins than ever before in my entire life. And I grew up on a farm, uh, so that's quite a, that's quite a, and that's from your Twitter feed, to be honest with you. So let's start, as always, let's start at the beginning, Wendide. Why agriculture? No, I mean, it was actually by, by chance, because I mean, I go up to university to actually do accounting. I think I went to class and an accounting student, I think I was an accounting student for about, what, two days or so. And then uh, I decided to change. And interestingly enough, my parents in the first semester, they actually thought I was doing accounting. It was only when I came up <laughs> with the results. They're like, why is there physics and biology in your results, but you're doing accounting? But obviously, later on, they, they understood the whole thing. And then I went on and going with the agriculture. And the whole interest really was about the food aspects as well as the economics of it, as well as the developmental aspect of it that really drove me an interest in that. Um, yeah, so so you you you, you majored in in agriculture agricultural economics, agricultural economics as well as um uh, economics. Yeah, so it's interesting because how many of those do we have in South Africa? Agricultural economists or people who actually ply their trade. No, I mean, not, 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 not many, but I mean, there is a couple of universities that do offer that degree. You mm. look at Stellenbosch, which is one alma mater, as well as you look at the University of Free State, uh, Tax, University mm. of Fort Limpopo. So, but obviously there's usually not many students that go to that route. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is, it's just really interesting because when you start looking at the data, um, around agriculture, farming, land, um, all of these things really, uh, challenge a lot of your perceptions about what you think you you know about your country and, and and how it's structured. Certainly, from that end, where a lot of us have no knowledge whatsoever. 
No, I mean, I, th- I think it's an important thing because on the agricultural economic side, you're looking at the distribution of all of these resources. Either you're looking on the land aspects or you're looking at the output. And we usually play a role on the policy space of it to say, how do we imagine the, the, the sector to go? Where do we want it to go? How can we create jobs? How can we do the sustainability aspect of it? And I think that's where a big contribution usually comes about when you're an agricultural economist. All right. So, I mean, so let's talk about the political aspects of this. Um, so I assume as an economist, you speak to a lot of farmers and you speak to a lot of policy makers, I would assume. Is it, I mean, is that true or am I wrong in that? No, you're quite right. You're oh, quite right. right. So is there an actual alignment between the two? Cause I, I would hope that that would be the first step, that there's an alignment between the farmers and the policy. Yeah. You know, that'd be ideal. But is there tension? No, I mean, it, it depends really on the, on the topics that I at hand. In some of the oh, development yeah. one, uh, you would find that there is a bit of an alignment, say last year when there was a drought. Uh, obviously the farmers were feeling the, 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 the pressure and the government as well because they need to meet some certain objectives. So they did come to the fore, but there are some of the uh, historical aspects. You take, for example, the land reform one. There the interest tends to be a bit of a diverse. So as an economist, you need to come in and really look at the aspects and say, okay, what are some of the best possible op- or options that can best, uh, you know, uh, uh, serve both of the needs of the farmers as well as on a on public, which are represented by the government? And that's where they need, there, there tends to be a lot of uh, difficulties, just like we find in South Africa today. Mm. Okay, so you've mentioned the drought. Um, we basically have our economic growth this year, thanks to the farmers, uh, because, well, essentially last year we didn't produce very much. Um, do you have numbers on that off the top yeah, of your I mean, head? Sorry uh, to challenge you on that. You look, for example, take basic stable maize. Mm. Last year we produced only about what seven point eight million tons. This year seventeen point four million tons. Wow! So significant drop off last year, and and obviously this year is a great improvement. Um, so we have we have our agricultural sector to thank for that. How big a role does this farming and agriculture play in in our economy? Now, I mean, look, when you look at it measured as per GDP, primary agriculture is roughly around about 2.4 percentage points or so. Uh, but obviously, because there are other uh, industries that are interlinked to that, yeah, so one do estimates that roughly 14% when you start adding on the manufacturing and all of the other add-ons. And, and I'm sure from a nutritional and health perspective as well, because that won't be picked up. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure how much insight you have into it. But, you know, if you're not feeding the nation properly, um, if there's a, a scarcity of food or, or obviously when there is a scarcity of food, costs will go up. People will eat uh, less. Uh, they, they will probably divert their money to cheaper yeah. product um, and, and won't eat as well. So so the, the, it, it has a very large role, I would imagine, to play in, in our country's well-being. No, I mean, in our well-being, there are actually some good indices that look at that. I mean, you look at that, you point and the Economist Index. They really look at the food security index. And South Africa is the only African country that is actually ranked up there. This year, for example, it's at what? Number 44 out of 133 countries. And it's a big improvement, three percentage points from last year. And that really looks at the aspect that Jonathan mentions, uh, the issue of availability, quality, safety of food and then they measure that I would say South Africa is really at a fair position and if you look at our peers at the continent who has abundance of land on where they're sitting on that index it's really uh, you know some, some bad stuff and I think there's room for improvement over time and it's interesting because in South Africa specifically there's the, the farming population is actually much older 
than one would expect. I think you put out a stat the average farm is about 62 years old yeah. in South Africa, and globally it's about 40-something years yeah, old. Th- that I is remember. correct. I mean, look at Australia. They have the, the average age is about, what, 53 years old. Yeah. Right. So we're we a decade older than that. Yeah. And there seems to be less farmers than before. There are, there's a declining population of farmers, yet we are still quite... Well, food secure, despite all of that. Yeah, I mean, look, there was an interesting divergence that happens in South Africa because if you look at it, 1997, 1998, that's where there was the whole thing of deregulation of agricultural markets. And before that, the guys were getting a bit of, a, I would call it, subsidies and a bit of certain supports. And then straight after that, those who couldn't produce efficiently when they were exposed to the world market, they started to drop off. And then the guys who could pick up the ball, they started getting that. Mm. They maximized on economies of scale and they led us to where we are today. But the age aspect that you are introducing, I think it's very important one. And I think discussions like this, which reaches out to other folks to say, okay, there's life in agriculture. What can we do to bring more youth? I think it's a healthy one to have. So what's your view on why we don't have more young people entering the agricultural market? Is it is it access to land, for example, or is it more just a case of people want to be urban and, and they're not really interested at waking up at 4 a.m. to feed the chickens? <laughs> no, I think I think it's a it's a bit of a both of, of, of those because the, the first one, people don't have actually access to land and some of the capital to actually get the land uh, to be productive. And it's, 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 it's funny enough because some of those guys that would want that, you find that they're sitting, for example, in my province in the Eastern Cape, and there would be land there that is sitting on any government lands or communal areas and stuff. But they can't get that productive uh, uh, because they don't have any title deeds, get mm. capitals and stuff. So there's that aspect. The second aspect of it, obviously, is for us to continuously engage to say, what are some of the interesting things that one can pretty much do in agriculture so that you can find value on it? Because you look at two things. You look at your career in urban areas as well as your career in the farming. You say, where can I get the best value out of it then you make your decision okay and recently you you always deal with land but recently you upset some people um, on the land issue you, you, tell us a bit about that no i mean look what, what we basically did uh, it was myself and uh, a colleague of mine who's economist at, uh, at up dr tinasha kapoor we put out these numbers where we're looking at the land transfers because there's a whole aspect to say land reform in south africa has been uh, frustratingly slow but it actually hasn't been that slow because if you look at the private transactions and you look at some of the transactions that the government has done we actually somewhere around about 20% or 21% of the 30% that was targeted, not the 9% that people talk about. So when we put out those statistics, folks really didn't really appreciate that. But, but, but there's been progress. I think people feel the pressure that land reform has failed because the post-transfer support that uh, the department or the government is supposed to be giving people is usually not that effective in some cases, which is why it leads to many failures around the country mm. and the frustrations. All right, so, so you, you give people land, uh, but they don't necessarily know what to do with it, or they don't have the skill to be able to farm it properly. No, Jennifer, what happens is you buy the land from Roman, which who's a, who's a white farmer, I give it to you, who's a black farmer, but mm. I'm government, I still keep the rights of that land. Oh, we're so talking about title deed issues. The title deed issues, so you can't really get any capital to actually get on that, yeah. and also that, that support aspect of the skills which you mentioned. But that's, I mean, that's a, that's a ridiculous thing. Why would the government have any rights to to that land in the first place? I know, I know that they buy it on behalf of someone else, but 
uh, surely they would understand that ownership gives that land value, not just tenantship, not just being a tenant on it. No, I mean, they, they give the people five-year lease to say they should start up, but you can't raise capital because that lease well, is non-tradable. Yeah. They, they raise the aspect that people sell back the land. So I don't know if we are to make uh, choices for people not to, to, to do what they desire. or I think sure. that's where the discussion needs no, to really it's, focus it's, it's on. It's highly moralistic. It's like when people say, uh, don't give... Uh, if there's a beggar at the robot, don't give him money because you'll spend it on drugs and whiskey. And I say, so what? If that, I mean, I give it to him. It's his now. If someone says, I'm going to sell you my car, but please don't drive it over, over 60 kilometers per hour. Are you going to be like, okay, I won't? No, you'll be like, no, it's my car now. I do with it whatever the hell I want. Yeah. Yeah. And surely, surely that's, that's uh, a, 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 a premise that will work well in land reform. I mean, look, title deeds are everything if you were to, to invest in land. And I think that's what the governments need to look mm. at. And I think maybe throughout this discussion and throughout these uh, papers that we put out, some will look at that and really yeah. come to, to, to think do, about it. Do you see any give in, in that sense? Because, uh, you know, as you say, you, you now have this farm, but the problem is you need a tractor, for example. So you go to the bank and you go, well, this tractor is going to cost me half a million rand. Um, and they go, well, do you have any collateral? And you go, funny thing, no, I don't. Did, are you seeing any move, any any give from the government? Yeah, not, not at this point, not at this point, because, I mean, uh, ideally, that's where we're supposed to be moving, to say, okay, give these folks title to acquire capital. But now you're seeing divergence. I mean, you you, you mentioned it, you're opening. Uh, we're going now to the ANC People uh, Conference, and then they talk about expropriation without compensation. So that's not really going towards what where we would desire to actually be. Uh, so so And that might undermine the whole aspect of property rights which is the actual the, the 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 premise of the whole agricultural system? Yes, well, the premise of, of every single other yeah. right. I'm afraid to say. <laughs> yes. Um, but is there any? I mean, I, I don't want to infer malevolence when incompetence will do. But what is the, the reason for the state not to give full uh, title to land? I mean, have they ever expressed that in certain terms, or is it just? That's the policy. No, I mean, look, I, I think what the, the, the folks have, have learned over the past, they were buying some of the other land and then they will give to people. People will sell it back to, to, to some of the white farmers. I think that got a little bit of uncomfortable with them. Obviously, people have a whole different objectives and stuff. But what's been interesting is that some of the other organized group, for example, the guys that I work for, the Agriculture Business Chamber, they've came up with some of the models to say, okay, maybe we should have these sort of models. And if someone benefits the land and then they want to sell it back, then you give the government the first right of your refusal. Sure. So those are things that we pretty much now engaging and hopefully we'll get some fruitful... I, I think that's uh, the Namibian model as well. Yeah. Uh, but quite. even Namibia, if you have land over a certain hectare or whatever you call it, the government has the first right of refusal. And if it's you been successful. And it has been. And then they, they the government liaises liaise with the claimants. Mm. So you sell your land to the government and the government says, oh, there's a claim here, so we'll give it to the claimants. And apparently it's been rather, it's rather been successful. So it's not expropriation, but if you want to sell your land, you sell it to the government first. And if they refuse, then you can sell it on the open market. Hopefully we will succeed and take that route. Uh, yes. Well, I think full title is the first step yeah. to anything. So there are some good signs in government uh, in terms of title but they're coming from the opposition i mean we've got uh, we have seen some title deeds being given in, in johannesburg for example in the western yeah. cape 
Um, I'm just I'm just wondering, you know, that elective conference we talk about. Does the, the ANC, you know, you you must have come across a couple of people on the inside. Is there anyone who's going? Oh, yeah, we're not doing this at the moment, but, but we might. We, it's something we should be considering. I think I think few people inside they do see the the the, the problem around that, but obviously they have to balance the the interests of their mm. wider parties or, and and then their all of their whole policies and stuff. Mm. But I think they do see that. And what I appreciate also is the fact that the whole thing of expropriation is not yet policy now. It was something that was proposed, and hopefully when it gets to be discussed in December, we won't take that route. And maybe people will find value in what Roman was mentioning, also the Namibian model, because I think that's really uh, has been successful. And I mean the the key interesting part is. Agbiz as well as Basa which is the banking association of South Africa they come up with a certain model where if you want to buy certain land government will put a one rand and will also put a one rand on uh-huh. the side and that might be something successful hopefully that that's something that we will take up and, and, and move forward right? so a bit of a controversial maybe not controversial so I've seen data to suggest that land reform is actually not terribly important to many many people in the country um, yet Political parties, you know, use it to gain leverage. They don't do very well with it. Uh, the EFF, that's the, the, that's the sole premise of the EFF existing is land. And they get six to eight percent of the vote, which is, which is tiny. So if land reform was a major issue, I would suspect the EFF would be at 50% of the vote. No, I, I mean, for, for me, even I, 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 would, I would think like, look, the, the, the key thing that we need to start looking at, I, I put out a, a chart a couple of days back where we showed that there's still some areas of land that are actually uh, open in KZN, in Limpopo, in the Eastern Cape. So why don't we start there and say, okay, there is this land, it's open. Who is it sitting in hands of? Communal leaders. Mm. There hasn't been uh, some good activity over the past 10 years. So why don't we get that land into production and give it the folks title deeds, provide some certain sort of support, and then we will we, we, we'll see how then it goes from there. Well, I mean, yes, it's a very good case study, but uh, I don't think the state wants independently rich farmers, I'm afraid, or people to, or people to have title deeds because it's a, it's a very simple process. You just you know whip out a pen and you sign the sign the title deed and you send it over. You know, it's not difficult, but. Um, as a Not, policy. They lose control there. Yeah, they lose control. I, I, I think what we need to do maybe is really the, 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 the continuous communication of this so that the guys could a bit find value. Because I imagine if you're a mayor of a certain town, you want that town to develop, right? So if there are all of these resources, that's what the state should really be focusing on. And I would imagine that if you develop people, they would vote for you if you're doing some great stuff. But obviously, some of the history has proven us that things don't usually go in that way. So yeah. hopefully, over time, we might start to see some positive developments. Yeah, I don't think anyone is against land reform as a, as a form of justice um, and as a form of restitution. I think, yeah. I think it should be done. Yeah. Um, and and you are saying it is being done. It's just it's just as always, the the intention is is benevolent and lovely. The execution is is not, and particularly slow as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, and for me, what, what usually really scares me is the sustainability of the sector on its own. Because the other thing that you know, folks usually forget about it is that when we get to have some certain failures or some certain uncertainty, it's not really about that particular farmer that is farming there. For example, today in South Africa, the agricultural labor market is what? 834 people, 834,000 people that are employed in that sector, close to a million. And if you read uh, chapter six of the NDP, they talk about creating what? 
what uh, another million jobs to absorb the youth and stuff so if you get some of these policies that might not really encourage increased productivity you might have problems not to say land reform is not important it is important like you said but it needs to be done in a sustainable way and i think everyone else who's involved they agree on that so i think if there could be some good calibration on the policy side and, and unfortunately that would mean you know relaxing the labor laws and things like that as well that will be have to be all these things together will have to work together it's not just a case of having intent you if labor is too expensive there won't be labor absorption in agriculture no no i mean I, I agree on that with the rise of technology and, and yeah. stuff and to do that you would need also to go back to those rural areas to say that communal land stuff we need to look at it mm. closer not only focus on what is already on commercial yeah okay we agree i think land reform yeah, is, is, we, yeah. We, we do pretty much uh, let's talk <laughs> about resource because I mean, is it a fair comment to say that almost all parts of South Africa, except maybe the Karoo, uh, if you know what you're doing, you can get something to grow. We're, we're a particularly fertile country. Um, are we utilizing our land resource enough? Um, I would say not really enough, but I think we are we are doing uh, so, 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 some 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 bit of a good stuff. And I mean, even the Karoo that you mentioned, I think mm. there are some bit of resources there. Mm. Uh, you can oh, do ostrich farming, in the Karoo. Uh, you can do ostrich mm. uh, and, and stuff. But I have uh, about three provinces that I would I would imagine that we're not really fully utilizing the Eastern Cape, KZN, as well as Limpopo. And I think there could still be something there that that, that can be done, and you can expand the, the the whole horticulture industry in those provinces. So the Eastern Cape is more of a land sort of issue like we discussed. Yeah. Um, is KZN the same, the same problem? Uh, partly same problem because you find that in actually all, most of the provinces that had your Bantu stats and stuff, mm. they the ones where you find that there's still some bit of resources that we can, we can utilize on that and, and, okay. and, and grow a little bit. And then Popo is assumptively same issue. Yeah. Um, but is there anywhere where we perhaps growing crops which we shouldn't be growing and we should maybe look at other things or, or where there are this potential for certain crops um, that isn't being supported or, or, yeah, or anything like, like that? Like marijuana. <laughs> I mean, look, the Eastern Cape does well on that. It does. I, I have seen them from the province, not that it's legal. <laughs> but, well, but it, I, it is now legal to grow for your own use, if I'm not mistaken. Well, not officially in law, but according the, to a the court courts case won't in the Western Cape, yeah. it, it, that's a different. But 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 look, the, the 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 only way where I think South Africa should actually be focusing on now is not to expand the grain and the all seeds and stuff that we are doing, is to grow more of the fruits as well as the vegetables. I say that in two ways: you can do, you can expand on that in those particular three provinces that I mentioned, abundance of water, rainfalls, and stuff. But also the demand aspect of it, we can get greater value in there. I'll give you this: last year. For example, we were in drought in South Africa. But if you look at the agricultural trade balance, it was still positive about what? $2.6 billion. We exported uh, stuff of a value of around about $8.6 billion as a country. So that was good. And it was boosted mainly by the horticulture coming from the Western Cape. So imagine if you were doing what you are doing in the Western Cape in the likes of the Eastern Cape as well, because those provinces were not really hard hit in the coastal areas as the northern ones. We could have seen some good value. And I think jobs are also gets to be important in there yeah it seems it seems like you know we mentioned at the beginning 2.4 percent of gdp but it seems like there's a lot of things that it could potentially feed into um where jobs would would be created um, tell me with regards to our fruit how much of that are we exporting you know the the, the usual complaint we send all our good stuff overseas <laughs> 
No, no, no. I mean, we, we don't really send all our good stuff overseas, but I mean, you look at oranges, for example. I think we export roughly about 60% of that, but mainly it's a demand issue. And even the, 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 the blueberries, interestingly enough, about 70%, <laughs> about, blueberries. <laughs> about 70% or so of our blueberries are going out of the country. Uh, I mean, the UK is the biggest market for that. I mean, have you seen the prices? Bloody 40 rand at Woolworths, man, for like a little tub. I'm, I'm sure they're probably five pounds at, at Selfridges or, or, or wherever. <laughs> but the thing is, it's the whole thing of the, the supply and the demand. Because, uh, the, the, the lucky part, I, I think it's a good and a bad, is that South Africa produces high quality agricultural crops. And that puts us in a place where the world actually likes the stuff that comes out of South Africa. Right. So you're competing with the Japanese for your yellow maize that is grown in the free state in Butaville. So if the Japanese are bidding higher than, than you, then you, you, you will see those price increases. No, of course, stuff. then you'll send it there. So on, on, if you had to, um, the average farmer in South Africa, is it someone who is highly respected as a farmer? I'm just trying to say, is the quality of our farms or farming quite high? Is there like a global standard to use? Um, look, if you were to look at us, the, the, the issue that sets us back when you benchmarking with the global stuff is the aging stuff. I mean, our farmers are aging, but obviously you have a bit of a family farms in South Africa. So hopefully there is some succession plans that are, that, that, that are, that are in there. But I think on a skill levels and stuff, we, we, we quite, uh, in, 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 a, in a good space. Like I said, in many commodities that we produce, we rank highly. Maize, we are amongst the top 20 exporters. You look at the fruits, we are also amongst the top 10 exporters on the wines we are there so we, we're pretty much we're doing good for ourselves okay and i see donkey skins we're doing well too so explain that a little bit because there's a there's a growing trend a growing demand for donkey skins i think in in East Asia somewhere? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the Kenyans actually have actually recently put out some slaughterhouses on the donkey side because in East Asia, the folks <laughs> are using the, you know, the, the donkey skins and stuff for some of the medical stuff. And we've seen donkey prices doubling over a period of a year. Right now, it's over $160 to sell a donkey. But if you had to look back two years ago, mm. that was about what? Get you years. So, so that's the stuff that was happening. <laughs> Yeah, oh, really. So the demand for skins has like increased like a double the price of a donkey. The, 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 the Asian guys are the ones that are driving out that market. It, it's interesting because the, there seems to be a lot of opportunity there as well in terms of, um, you know, opening the, the market, the African market to the rest of the world. Uh, you know, use that example. Maybe, you know, it was a, a, a delicacy almost or to, 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 ha to get part of a donkey or donkey skin or whatever it is, um, in Asia. Um, now, you know, we open it up and suddenly we've got an entire industry created by that demand. I, I'm wondering how many other industries just are waiting to be opened up. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's something that we can explore. And I know that I think the mayor, for, it was a, the, the mayor or MEC somewhere in Northwest was looking for some time in that market. But obviously, when you look at the donkey side, there tends to be all sensitive issues that people are touched to that. So people are, for now, they're not that open to the whole donkey aspect. But interestingly, if you were to look at the horse meat, because I was just looking at statistics recently, mm. you find that countries like Lesotho or so, they're actually buying a bit of it from South Africa. So the horse meat market, if it's open or it's happening, then you might want to look at these donkey side because there's value uh, overall on it, particularly if you're farming in Africa where there's a, a good population of them. Yeah. In Zimbabwe, there's a good population of donkeys there. Since we're going down this road, what are some of the stranger things? So we've got horse meat, um, donkey skins. 
What are what are the more uh, interesting agricultural lion produce? Lion bones, also. Like yeah, the, there is there, there, there is that uh, also, but all of these interesting commodities that are happening in a, in the agricultural sector, uh, they seem to be driven by the Asian uh, demand. So that population and that growth and those incomes that are coming there, maybe Africa should really be open and look out of that and say, okay, sure, what can we do? Well, yeah, I mean that's why you legalize the trade of of rhino horn and things like that. I mean. Okay. It could be a very lucrative market, but uh, yeah, policy, policy, policy. I think that's the biggest weakness we have as a country. Policy is just either uncertain, unhelpful, or if the policy is well intended, just poorly managed or executed. Like that's a, a big frustration of mine. I, th- I think the people also, because uh, I don't know if people are yet that open. Because I mean, I could say now, uh, put put out a tweet there and say, why don't we 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 consider exporting some donkey skins? You see that some certain factions of the community are still not open to that idea. But if you start bringing the, while they drive the in their BMWs um, covered in leather, <laughs> you see, <laughs> those are things that happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> sure. What are we, what's happening? You know, Ramon refers to the labor markets and, and labor laws, quite strict in South Africa, very difficult to fire someone, for example. Um, they now want to introduce minimum wage. I don't know if, is that affecting agricultural sector yet? Look, with the current proposal that was put out, just above three thousand or so, it's not really much of a of of an issue. I think most of the guys can are paying that. that. But the problem is, some of the other industries, for example, you look at the citrus pack housing, there might be some issues there. But fortunately, when you look at that law, there is a bit of of, of where you can go and uh, and and express your view mm. on why do you think you can't reach that. Be- level. Because farming obviously has busy times and down times. So to employ someone for 12 12 months when you might only need them to pack boxes for two months is going to be a problem. Yeah, I mean, now, the, the 834,000 labor market that I was talking about, if you had to really look at the granular part of it, roughly 30 to 40% of it is really seasonal labor. So you do see those downturns, but if wages are not that uh, high, then farmers might keep some other people and rather delegate them to some of the tasks if it's not a really uh, mm. an active or a busy time sure. in the farm. And and what are we seeing in terms of, uh, you know, machinery coming in, mechanization, all of that type of stuff? I think for now, it's not really, you know, uh, taking people out of their job, but it demands a certain level of skill. So the, the, the farm laborers that are now in the farms, they need to know some certain things. They need to know how to operate some of the So the educational aspects that tends to be important. Um, so this is just becoming like an interview. You, you can ask us questions as well if you want to, Wendy. <laughs> uh, but no, but just uh, from from our side, uh, in terms of the aging farming population, what, what percentage are, are up and coming black farmers? A proportion of because I see quite a few article like it's like it's something revelationary that a black person can farm. I don't know why people think it like it's a miracle. <laughs> people have been farming here for millennia. Like come now, but I see like a lot of commercial farms. Like you get these. Young black guys coming up and saying, I've got the largest dairy farm in whatever, free state. So, um, what proportion of the farmers are, are black and are they younger than the white farmers, so to speak? No, I mean, look, I, I, I would say on the, on the, on the age aspects, they, the evidence there is pretty much mixed because you have the older guys that are farming, 
uh, in the communal smallholder farming side. Right. But if you had to look at the commercial side, I would say much younger guys are the ones that are getting in there. But uh, obviously, we haven't really done a much uh, better survey to really gauge up to say on a, on a, on a, on a racial aspect how much of the white guys, how much of the black guys that are getting there. But by looking at it, we do see an, an uptick, like you say, in many of the of the areas that we we we, we, we were farming in. Okay, so, so there is an uptake of like black farmers coming into the market. There's an uptake on that. There's an uptake on that. How do we how do we encourage people to to sort of go into farming? Because I mean, you look at your example. You went to be an accountant and then became an economist. Good choice. Um, but but <laughs> but you, you know, maybe most kids when they leave school, I would imagine, don't go. I want to go be a farmer. Um, and what what are other countries doing? You know, what are, are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? How many times do you discuss food, for example, when you're sitting with folks? Do yeah, you, how the, many times do you look at food and discuss not only the taste or aspect yeah. of it, but really think about where your food comes from and all of that aspect? Absolutely. I mean, ne- prob- probably almost never. Um, we, we had a very interesting discussion the past <laughs> week on our group, uh, or a couple of weeks back now, um, with regards to, to meat and, and the ethical treatment of, of animals. Um, and the, the, all the farming around that, but but very seldom do you really go. Sure, I wonder where this apple came from, and, and the process to get it onto onto my plate or into my hand. But but I think that's where the interesting parts can start to be because now if we start talking about where the actually food is coming from, what's the processing aspect of that, and what sort of value can actually come throughout this whole food production side, maybe we can start to see some young guys coming up. Do you think we need to create the interest? You know, I think I think, I think in, the in interest, general society, yeah, as well as the discussions about it. For example, in what he's talking about, uh, uh, Roman. I mean, you look now in the U.S. A lot of guys are already starting to say we can grow meat in the lab without killing any animals yeah, yeah. we have this clean meat aspect that is coming out yeah. those are discussions that we could really when you talk about the it and the and the, the, the technology stuff we should really put them in on, on the fore and say well what do we think about this yeah but it goes back to policy 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 no, but, 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 but I mean, these guys are not putting, uh, uh, for, for now, obviously in South Africa, that will need a bit of, uh, investments. Investments needs, uh, certainty, certainty, uh, <laughs> trust. <laughs> trust. But, but those are some of the things that we should really think about. Because yes. what do you see when you, when you imagine if, when, when you think of a farmer, maybe this is going to be too obvious to run because you said you, you grew up in a farm. Yes. But when you think of a farmer in South Africa, what typically comes to your mind? Khaki know, shirts, guy in a tractor. Khaki shirt, comb in the sock. Felt gonna. If you, you don't want to really be wearing, <laughs> yeah, but 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 the guys are not really now in that sort of an image. Maybe they themselves as well, the farmers, should start participating and doing some well, of that. They need a marketing and, and campaign. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, open more f- farmers markets. Go there and showcase your own cheese. If yeah, you're unfortunately, your own farmers cheese. markets are always and, run by uh, hipsters these days. I know. That's, you know, it's yeah. some guy with a beard. It's run by <laughs> white like, people with beards. Who like grew some carrots in a box <laughs> in his apartment. You know. And then he's like, check my fresh carrots. Yeah. No, white people ruin That's also how he I actually have a problem with some of the farmers' markets, particularly with the hipsters. Not a problem. They'll take this bad. But, but, yeah, but hipsters, <laughs> we have a problem with you. <laughs> Me, uh, Wandile and I. <laughs> because, I mean, these guys, uh, okay, let me not characterize and say these guys, but what tends to happen is people tend to have less appreciation of technology. Uh, say, for example, in South Africa today, we're producing 80% of our maize genetically modified crops. But this is an important aspect of it. If you were to look at South Africa, we, we plant 
2.6 million hectares of maize. Look at Nigeria. They planted this year mm. 4 million hectares of maize. Okay. They harvested just 7 tons of maize. We harvested 17.4 million tons of maize. Okay. Planting half so of our conversion rate. So is that much conversion higher. rate and that stuff. So those are some of the things that I think people don't have appreciation of because besides, if we didn't have this good technology in South Africa, yeah. we wouldn't be having these Food pricing that you are but seeing is, now in stores. Is, is GMOs still a big problem? I mean, as far as I'm aware, people are like, listen, it's perfectly safe. It's yeah, if it's, it's, all, it's it's it saved the world from starvation. We've been growing it since 2002 in South Africa, and uh, uh, I mean, our your soybeans, all your soybean related stuff, 90 percent of it is genetically modified. So we seem to be fairly so well. It, it, you need to stop you there. That means if you're a vegan, you have been eating GMOs pretty much. Your whole life. It's fantastic. For, for many of the crops, that is one of the po- that has actually been going Beautiful. on. So, and, and for me, I think if you say, is there still a problem in society? There is still a problem. Because if, if you, if you, you put the you word out about it. GMO, yeah. you see what sort of a response you get. But, but it's interesting because I saw even, uh, there were a whole bunch of Nobel laureates recently who criticized Greenpeace, I think it was. For, and basically said, look guys, what you've been saying about GMOs for the past 20 years is absolute rubbish, uh, nonsense, and you need to kind of let it go now. Um, so I think the world is slowly starting to come around. It's one of those things, you know, it's, 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 it, it was the, the forerunner to climate change. You know, GMOs are going to kill us all. Um, and they're going to kill all the crops and, uh, then we won't have any food. But, but, but and then- it's, uh, the reverse has happened. But but then if then people were more acceptive of that notion, why aren't we seeing much of the Africa also adapting to that? Because we're the only ones in Africa that grow genetically modified crops. Mm. And if you had to look at it, many of the countries are not really doing well in production, but they have better weather than us and all of those things. They have more land than us, mm. the likes of DRC and stuff. So putting their politics aside, if we were if they were to put technology on, they would see much more well, better productivity. Yeah, well, uh, that's a question of. Prop- I can't imagine the GMO well. movement in in the DRC is particularly large in terms of the anti-GMO <laughs> movement. Um, so I don't I don't know what the reason is. is. Is there not enough Monsanto offices in in the DRC? What is what is the problem? <laughs> no, I mean, look, when you're looking uh, across the continent, I think that many of the countries they still have some problems. I mean, Kenya, for example, was busy testing the genetically modified uh, crops, but they recently taken two steps back while they were had taken one step forward. And the interesting part about them you might have seen that is that this year for example they were hit hard by the drought they mm-hmm. had food inflation over 20 percent but they couldn't really buy large volumes from south africa because they still have some of these restrictions so i think they really need to relook some of these things so what is what is your view on this um on these tariffs of overseas foods into south africa so the big story was chicken like last year yeah, yeah the chickens uh like there's a 20 percent increase on chickens imported to protect local farmers i mean as an economist surely you would be <laughs> against tariffs i would think <laughs> or not really you speak like my professor who once said that when i wrote an article about the the the, the tariffs i was then in support of some of the other movement really? and then he he sort of like wrote me and he wrote an email back but look the, the whole aspect it really depends on a serious note now on what's the motivation behind it if you look at it for example in in, in south africa we have yeah. a wheat tariff that is there that wheat tariff is there while the industry is still undergoing some sort of revitalization they putting monies and all of that stuff to make sure that it goes 
well. But for the poultry sector, it's really a, a, a difficult one because we have a demand in the country and we couldn't really, you know, service that with all of our supplies. So they had to import some of the other meat. But because the cuts that were coming from these countries, they then, when you look at the pricing aspect of it and the technicalities, it qualifies under dumping. So it, it's a really a, a, a tough one. But obviously, if we do invest on our chicken industry, we might change that notion. But surely you will want more food cheaper for more people. And tariffs are a barrier to that. No, but trade policy, uh, Roman, has to balance both of the, the, the consumer as well as the producer welfare side. Sure for though? consumer, Does yeah. <laughs> I'm saying like open borders to trade, man. If you can't compete... Too bad, you die. That's what happens. But, but the problem is you have the producers, they have their own people that gets to represent them in some of these discussions. But on a consumer side, you have less voices of the consumers that can really come on. Which consumer organization that you know, which are used for or against uh, tariffs, there's really not many of those. So, 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 Which is there where government needs to take a delicate position to say, do I balance all of these welfare issues well and stuff? So, so what is your – if you had a general opinion on tariffs – Without being contextual. No, I mean, I would, would I, I would put the, the tariffs in place, but for a short period of time, if I have enough evidence to see that there's something that is being done to turn around the situation. I, I, because, sorry, John, yeah, just sure. one more. Because the problem with tariffs, it could backfire for us. What happens yeah. if, if the chief countries we export to suddenly say, oh, no, well, we want to revitalize our own wheat market in Estonia, wherever we export to, and we're going to put a 25% markup on South African wheat. No, no, no. Under the WTO, well. under the WTO, there are clear standards on the rules. Of oh, right. When do you put it on and all of those things? So we usually put the tariffs, making sure that we follow all the global standards and we follow all the regulation on why do we put that. But I would argue for if you are doing something on the ground, you say, Hey, Wandile, protect me now for the next two years while I'm, I'm, I'm moving this ball. Once I'm done with it, then we can go back to that standard. To the detriment of cheap food for more people in South Africa. I mean, look, there's usually benefits over long term because when you're taking policy decision, you're looking on for the long term, oh, not yeah. for the short term. So, so you, you balance those needs, but obviously you don't lift the, the, the levels to be too high to the extent that many consumers could actually be under pressure. You do calculate and look at those things on the on data. I, I think on the tariffs thing, you know, if everyone sort of turned around and said no tariffs, in other words, just nobody has tariffs, then I, I tend to agree with Ramon's point. Uh, I'd prefer to have that that scenario. The problem we have is that that's not the situation. So if you work within a market where there are tariffs and you decide we're not going to have any, then you put yourself at a distinct disadvantage. No, no, not really. I mean, remember the, 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 this thing, Jonathan, because m- many of the countries that we trade with, uh, we're really not in an, in an equal footing because you look, for yeah, example, exactly. there uh, the, are the lots of subsidies that these guys get. The South African farmers don't get any oh, yeah. subsidy and, and stuff. So uh, the EU, for example, would never be as competitive as they are if there were no subsidies on their poultry sector well, and they, they, they get, won't be for very long the eu is collapsing but yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> those are some <laughs> of the other aspects and i mean they get these terrible these benefits double edge because you have your inputs which is your soybeans and maize being subsidized you're getting them at a good rate and then you also subsidize on the actual birds or livestock production and stuff so there's all of these uh so, so there's a question there. of balancing like not evils around the world but it's, it's not within our control, so to speak, because other countries have far better ways to produce what they produce and they could destroy the local markets because they actually are like nepotistic cronies with their subsidies from the EU. 
No, I mean, look, uh, they're not blocking South Africa for not doing on its own. We make our own rules. But the whole issue is the things that you need to care about is uh, consumer welfare, sustainability of the industry. Take a policy that at least finds a better common footing between those two. I mean, I don't disagree with with the principle uh, of of consumer welfare and <laughs> and industries, etc. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not an economist by any means. I, I just, I just dislike. You know, when people say we're going to have a trade deal, and a trade deal is like six thousand pages of regulations. Yeah. Like that's not a trade deal. That's just trade is just sending something over and receiving something in return, and we, everyone gets what they want. But money they gave us and quarters. I mean, uh, the U.S., for example, they were not really flooding the South African market because they said they were going to export to South You remember there was all of this thing, Agoa, chicken yes. stuff, and then they would said, okay, sure, look, we will send 60,000 tons a year of, of, of chicken to South Africa, and they ended up using, what, 20 to 30 percentage points of that, not really filling up that quarter at the time last year because uh, that whole campaign made people not to really want the American chicken as we as the the importers would, would like it to would be. we know the difference um, uh, uh, certain pieces you 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 would see the American pieces tending to be a little bit bigger and stuff but obviously not all the time it would depend on the cuts but the, chicken. But, but there was there was a, <laughs> but there was a lot of scare mongering about yeah. some sort of I don't know something in American chicken that's harmful I, or I, I think that that that's unfair though to our to our scientists because South Africa is great scientists that are sitting on and looking at the food qualities and stuff so when you say no South Africa is importing some some, some, some rubbish stuff it's like now you say you don't have confidence on that guy. So those are some of the other things. Okay. I mean, I mean, I agree with you in principle about, about balancing, yeah. balancing something. I just don't know. And we are in an unequal footing if, if overseas farmers have like shitloads of subsidies and, and preferential treatment and we don't. And then we try to compete mm. with that and it's difficult. And they I didn't say you do, you shouldn't have your own subsidies. It's that, that your finances are not in place for you to actually have all of well, those Well, I, I think no one should be subsidized by the state for anything ever. Uh, I agree in principle uh, with that. I agree with you. But would you, do you have problem with any food that is coming from certain countries to say, um, I don't want the stuff that comes from the US and all of these? Do you uh, have any problem with any foods or? Me? No. I, I do. No. I mean, it, what? Is, is Trump it, still Israeli, making Trump meats? Israeli figs. Or is, he, is he still making Trump meats? Because <laughs> we may not eat that. Um, Wandila, tell me, you know, food seems to always get more expensive. You, uh, referred a bit to inflation. Um, where where do we sit? Because it, it just seems like it's it, every month it's it's kind of more expensive. You, monthly it's a few rand, but if you go yearly, if you you know like my, our food we buy on 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 a single card, so it's very easy to track our, our food spend. And over the years, it's very much increased, and we haven't really increased the amount of food we're eating. So what, what's what's happening with inflation? Um, why is there inflation? So much on certain things, and why do we not see the deflation passed on to the consumer, or do we? And no, am I just I think, being I think, I think, negative? I, th- I think we do see the deflation pass on a consumer, but it really depends on a basket. Because I mean, look, when you when you're looking at the whole food inflation side, uh, that you have the vegetable, fruits, meats, and whatever, but. The, what typically happens is those prices don't go in the same direction all the time. If you have higher maize prices, you have relatively lower meat prices because now the guys who are in a beef, they're slaughtering more and stuff. But now what had happened, for example, last year, you were supposed to have very cheap meat, but they 
Asians came through and the Middle East guys, they bought some of our beef. So right. which is why you didn't see really a deflation on that. But more generally, I think that uh, meat inflation, which food inflation, which is the rate uh, food prices are increasing, has come down a little bit. We at now what 5.4 percent, coming from 10.5 of last year. But some food aspects are actually on deflation. Grain-related foodstuffs they down by at least two percentage points. Fruits they actually down now. But I guess uh, uh, Jonathan's basket is usually more meatier than and, the and, other and, stuff, and more like Woolies based than. Yeah. I don't shop at Woolies almost <laughs> then, at then, all. Then you, you, if, you, if you look at some of those things, then, then you would be there. But I think food inflation is coming down. And I mean, the good news is also the fact that, yes, prices tends to be sticky downwards. But when we look on to next year, for example, on our side, we forecast food inflation to be averaging at 5.3%. This year's one is going to average around about 7.4%. The year after, we even seeing a much better slowdown because of the robust production that we're expecting. That's assuming so, other economic factors go our way. I mean, the, the key thing that would change the food space is the December conference. Yeah, all right. And, and, and depending on with leadership and, and what happens with and that. And radical economic transformation. Those are some of the other aspects that because they have a bearing on, on production. So if you get the, the, the agricultural production, they're not really tapered a lot. I think that we, 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 we will have a good run. And food prices... They, 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 they've been good. The other thing, though, that I, I, I must mention that I think people usually don't appreciate a lot is the fact that South Africa transports a large share of their of our agricultural stuff by road. Yeah. So that's fuel aspects. Very inefficient way to do it. We had the train. What happens to them? Which, what happened to our trains? We used to transport no, our grain. Eighty percent of yeah. them, eighty percent of our grain, not so long ago, twenty years or thirty years back, was transported by by, by railway. Then you took all of those, put in on them on 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 a, on a mining side, which then with that commodity boom that was happening there. Oh and, right, uh, so, so people uh, took away, so they put the trains for mining. They just transferred what was transported. I, I think the priorities changed right. because of the commodity, but that they went there. And I guess then uh, people were also the fact that agriculture is. So so you have downtimes, but on the commodity side, you would do well. Right now, you have mm. all of these trucks moving. Look at the roads in Butterville. Mm. It's, it's, it's a mess because of these big trucks that are actually transporting on there. And I think that infrastructure side, if we can sort that out, it can really contribute over long term, even on the a, on a food pricing side. And deflation. Yeah, yeah make, make life a bit easier and definitely. cheaper. Um, can I throw a bit of a – I don't know if it's a curveball to you, but um, – what can you tell us about water? Because uh, the Western Cape has none <laughs> that we know. Um, are we are we managing our water resources correctly? Um, sorry, I don't know if I'm, I'm no, no, picking I mean, on a topic that's not your. No, I'm even worried, core. though, uh, Jonathan, that you mentioned the Western Cape. Not only by the, the 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 issue that it doesn't have water. You know that province in our GDP, which we were talking about earlier, it contributes roughly uh, GDP for agriculture. It contributes roughly about twenty percent, and the jobs that we are talking about, about twenty five percent of them are in that province. And the job mm. losses which we saw earlier on in the year, uh, which is about what just below, uh, in total, there are about forty thousand or so. Large part of it was in the Western. 
Western Cape. So the water aspect has to be important. But coming back to that, South Africa is a water scarce country. Uh, so we need to find ways to work on that. And I think, uh, to some extent, it would be unfair to say, yes, we, we, we manage, we're not managing our water well. I think the, the farming community, they get it and they are the biggest users of water over mm-hmm. 60% or so. So they need to, but, but one aspect of really solving that is to say, how do we use technology? to breed seeds that can be able to withstand some of these harsh conditions because climate change is here. There's only one person who doesn't believe climate change. It's Trump, but everyone else <laughs> believes it. So it's changing. It depends. No, they call it now weather extremes, not climate change. Uh, they changed the words uh, now. Changed, yeah. You see, when you keep moving years. the goalposts, yeah. <laughs> so you, come, you come on a show that believes in climate change. We just have uh, the view that you shouldn't uh, lose your mind over it. And, and we're uh, having someone talking about that in a few weeks' time. Yeah. So, 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 yeah, we... It, we, we, we do agree climate change is coming. Um, but as I've always said about climate change, it's more, and what you're alluding to, it's more important how you adapt to the climate change. Yeah. So I, I'm not interested. I'm not going to stop driving my car. Uh, you can, you can try sell me a Tesla. I'm not driving Elon's piece of shit. Um, no, but new ways of, of adapting. Mm, absolutely. So I agree with you. So I will carry on driving my car and putting CO2 <laughs> into the atmosphere and you must find a way to, 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 to make my seed grow. In your new climate, um, so I, I'm I'm fully fully. I mean, for actually, that. there's companies that are already doing that. I mean, I, you know, now we have Monsanto doing what is called Wemmer, which is water resistant uh, maize for African farmers. Uh, really? So specific to yeah, African farmers. Yeah, but, but I mean, they selected Africa because it's dry, right? Well, it's dry. So 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 if that gets to gain momentum, it could it could really save some yeah. life. Yeah, and you see, that's the future. That's what I love about humanity and and our development. Is is instead of going well, there's a problem, and then trying to hold ourselves back because that problem exists brings opportunity. Um, exactly. Rather, we go well. We have a problem. How can we solve it? Well, this is a interesting way. Let's make seeds that don't need much water. Um, yeah. You know, a third or, or, or even sixty percent of what they normally right. would. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's interesting stuff. Ramon. Is, uh, have we exhausted our, our agricultural knowledge? <laughs> I, well, I have no agricultural knowledge. That's why. That's you come why up a farm. It's, 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 it's very we sad. Had, we had horses and ostriches and chickens. And we didn't sell them for profit. We just lived you, there. You, you, you just leave them and make what, sure of that. Are, are we, but, uh, there can't be many countries who, who, who breed ostrich, uh, you know, farm ostrich. Um, uh, we, 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 one of the, one of the few, not, not, not so many, one of the few, but I mean, the, the, and it's always riskier business because of the avian influenza and stuff. Like you know now, there's yeah. a whole bird flu stuff. Chickens and, uh, also yeah. in the Western Cape, isn't it? Also in the Western Cape. And by the way, your breakfast might get a little bit expensive over the coming uh, few months, few months, because of the f- roughly over four million chickens that were actually killed because of the bird flu, a large part of that has been the layers. So your egg prices, Already they were coming down from May, April, May, June, but now they're starting to go up. They're already up by four percentage points or so, and I think that the breakfast is going to start to get expensive on that. Unless you just carry on eating bacon. Yeah, uh, bacon. Yeah, unless you carry on eating bacon, but but the butter prices as well. In addition on that, they also going up. So you have those two things oh, on your on your I blame Tim Nags, the bastard. It's his fault. <laughs> he said butter with everything, and look what people have done. Demand. Increased demand. You see. <laughs> um, so are we sending our ostrich? anyway 
Yeah, I mean, look, we, 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 we exporting the feathers and a bit of the meats. The, the EU is one of the biggest markets. But obviously, just generally in South Africa, if you had to look at our agricultural sector to say, have we been growing? We've been growing over the, the years. But the Europeans as well as the African markets have been very, a large part of that. 40% of our agri-exports go to Africa. 30-something or so goes to Europe. Then you have the Asia also coming in. So so, so we've been doing great. And the wines and the ostriches and stuff, they're very part of that to Europe. So, I mean, in general, there's a lot of doom and gloom about farming and land reform and, and, and violence on farms. But you seem to paint a picture that things are actually going quite well in terms of output, at least. Um, we, could be, we could be doing a lot better. We just need policy certainty, property rights. I think, I think, I think we, I think we're doing better. What do you think when you look at the farming? Are you negative when you look at South Africa's food sector? I, I don't have enough knowledge. I'm or, quite or, ignorant, or, or, to be or, or, honest. Or, or following your tweets, I became a lot more positive about farming. Uh, I, th- I think there's, I think there's, there's a lot of good going for us. Yeah. If it, putting the policy obviously aside, I think that technology that South Africa has acquired, investments that we, we've been doing have been great, and people have been confident about it. For example, you look at the banking institution. I think now the agricultural debt is. Uh, for last year, 2016, it was around about what 144 billion that the banks have put in. The fact that these guys can put so much money in agriculture that means they see good returns, right? So, so you have those things. The money that has been follow flowing in, you have the outputs that have been going out, and the guys have been able to service that debt over time and stuff. So, th- there's been really some good stuff. And I think if you get the policy aspect around, we 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 could, we could start to, to to see some good growth. Something that's typically South African. Uh, we are, we're a bit like France, like the French people. Like nothing's ever good enough, or we always think we're doing much worse than we actually are. And then you look at it in context, like oh shit, we're actually doing quite well despite all these issues. I, th- I think I think if we we start to go into granular to say, okay, what's really happening? Where? What are we doing? Are we net? I mean, we've heard people making statements that oh, South Africa is now a net ex- importer of food and stuff, which is, uh, I mean, that's wrong. We've been net exporters of food. You look at it. Processed. So that's a, that's a false statement. That's a false statement. We produce enough food to export, even the processed one. We are net exporters on that. So we, we're doing really good at that. We are food secure at a national level. Obviously, okay. the, the, the household level is a different aspect. So I think the country, uh, generally, uh, there's a good story in the, in the agricultural okay. space. What, are, what do you see going forward as the major risks facing the agricultural industry? I mean, look, there's three things that I think that might be important. The first one is the one that we've been going over it, the, 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 the land policy. The water issue is coming out to the fore now because people are finding difficulties on the water rights and all of those things. Um, uh, the, 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 the labor market is also something that is going to be on, on, on top of us. Obviously, you can link water with climate change. I think those are really some of the sure. key aspects. But when you look at the, at the agricultural sector on your side, what do you – what do you, do you see it as something that can grow the economy? Do you worry about it? Well, I think as Ramon said, I mean, you you, you mustn't underplay your role that you 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 have as an advocate for the farming community. Because as I as I said, I, I'm largely ignorant to a lot of this stuff. Um, I'm someone that probably a few months ago would have said we, we we've become a net importer of food. You know, we, we, we're becoming uh, the next Zimbabwe. Yeah, um, and you know, then I, I read your stuff and 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 follow you. Um, okay. And see, see what you're saying. And, and it's very interesting. And I realize that, you know, cause I think also when people think about farming, they maybe, you know, they might think about cattle and chickens and, and a bit of maize here and there. Um, they don't realize the, the, the massive variety of everything yeah. from, from those sort of meat products 
down to nuts, yes. um, down to things like blueberries they, 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 and they, wine. As, as well as the processing aspect of it, the wine aspect. I mean, they've been really a large part of the growth that we've seen over time on, on the wine side. And there's been good investment, by the way, even uh, these past two years where we've seen this policy uncertainty and stuff. You still see foreigners coming in, buying wine farms mm. in South Africa. They view us as relatively cheaper than buying a wine farm in France and everywhere. So sure. we, we, we still pretty much some, 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 some attractive yeah. industry. Well, it's what I've been saying, which is that, you know, South Africans are now basically separating themselves from the government. They're going, that's nice. It's great that you've got your <laughs> government over there. You go and you have nice meetings in Cape Town and, and, you know, you can go to the union buildings and sit there for all we care. And we're going to get on with it. Um, and yeah, you'll pass a law here and there and we'll find a way around your law or through your law, whatever it is. Take you to court. Um, or we'll, yeah. we'll do what we need to do. Yeah. But ultimately we're going to get on with it. And I think, I mean, that wine example is a perfect case in point, you know. Yeah. Um, they're just getting on with it. We have good land to produce good wine uh, and and people who know what they're doing and, and we're doing it. Yeah, and I, and I think now one of the important things that the guys will need to do if they're taking any of the policies that they're continuing with some of the stuff ben, good beneficiary selection when you're selecting people to give the land reform because you have three aspects of it. You have restitution which people they can prove. Yeah. But when you look at the redistribution, I think we need to do a good screening to say that who do we really give the land to? Do we give it to people that are friends our friends or do we give to people that have been in there for some time because I was recently now I mean in my previous employee when I was economist for Grain SA we had like this farmer development program stuff where they were really doing an incredible work of training the guys then I think when you're doing redistribution, you need to go and say, Grain South Africa, okay, this is a maze area. Who have you trained over the past five years that you think we can put in there? Then they can assist you on that. You want to do potatoes, look at the potatoes side and ask a potato essay what they've been doing because I think they've been doing some great stuff and then they do those beneficiary selection. And the potato story is even good because now we're starting to see growth in exports and the potato, we're seeing interest in Africa. So you're going to see potatoes coming up a lot in the, in the table because this fast food chain that is actually happening across. It demands a lot of those potatoes, and our farmers know how to, to produce good potatoes. So, Jeez. yeah, I mean that, that's what, that's what I say. Someone like you, in who knows who knows the sector, who knows the numbers, who comes in and says, "Life's not that bad, guys. <laughs> Life's not that bad. It could be a lot better. We just need a bit of certainty. Hopefully, the ANC won't go with like full expropriation in December. Uh, but other than that, it's on. I mean, you don't get food shortages on, in this country. It's on, it's on autopilot yeah, it in a way. It's on the agricultural center. It's sort of like no, no, no. I, th I think the best part, though, Rami, that we can give, even on a government, on a regulator side, I think what South Africa did well was to create institutions because these sectors operate fairly well because there's certain institutions that function right. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, I mean, it's thanks to the people who, who were in or earlier, those institutions that were set up. I think that's what maintains uh, the, the agricultural sector also and also the, the, the other sectors of the economy. So if you undermine those, then then you might have some serious problems. Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, in shaky an, in foundations, a, but for now, doing well. Doing well for now. <laughs> yeah. In an age where uh, pretty much everyone's an expert, it's nice to have a real expert in studio um, to give us the actual data and the actual insight. Um, um, please, please uh, go to the EFF headquarters in Bromfontein and say, <laughs> Julius, come sit down here with me. I'm going to explain. Let a me couple explain of things why your your messaging <laughs> is wrong. Yeah, oh, well, I think he could change his messaging and still have a lot of support. Uh, he, but he knows all the facts. He's doing it for power, not because he believes in it. I'm talking about Julius, not you, Wendy. Oh, I thought I was looking for <laughs> no, power. Not you. No, not you. Where's my power? 
Um, I was like, no, I'm just an economist. <laughs> <laughs> not just, not just. Um, Wandira, thank you so much for coming and joining us. We really thank appreciate you. it. It's uh, it's been a good chat. It's, it's been nice a, it's been good. an hour. It's oh, flown wow. by! Can you believe Time it? Flies. No, thanks. <laughs> an hour of donkey skins and potatoes and blueberries. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, who would have thought? That's uh, that's that's some really interesting stuff, and and I think broke a lot of notions that uh, certainly I had, and, and hopefully listeners find it find it just as just as interesting. So thank you very very much. You can follow Andile on Twitter. I highly recommend that at Andile Global. Um, anywhere else? You got a Facebook page? Or? No, just the, the the Twitter one is is the, is the, the key one. Yeah. All right. So on the tw- on the Twitter, uh, as always, you know where to find us. If you like the show, you can donate on Patreon. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we've had some really great guests the past couple of weeks. We've got some really great and massive uh, names coming up in the near future. Look forward to it. Thanks for listening again. Cheers. This is cliffcentral.com.